I don't know about you, but I like to feel supported. I like to feel like somebody has my back, my six. Uh, so, somebody is there that I can talk to, listen to what I have to say and not judge me. Um, and that's why I love going to BetterHelp.com. That's right. BetterHelp.com has therapists from all around the world that can help you within the next 48 hours. I don't know if you talk to anybody trying to find a therapist, but it takes a while to, to find one nowadays. Every, everybody's getting, that's right, everybody is getting therapy right now. So don't get left out. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy your 10% off now because we go to the gym to get, you know, work on our bodies. We got to go somewhere to work on our mental health. BetterHelp.com is that place. That's where you find your person to share with, to talk to, to feel supported. BetterHelp.com. That's the way to go. B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P. Boom, done. Let's wrap. Your progress can start today. No need to stay stuck any longer. No need to feel alone or ashamed. You can feel loved and supported. Go to betterhelp.com. Now, mind you, it's not a crisis. It's not a crisis hotline. You call 988 or any of those 1-800-273-TALK or any of those phone numbers for that. But you go to BetterHelp.com where you want to find somebody who can go on a journey with you, who can listen to you and guide you and help you get unstuck and achieve your goals. BetterHelp.com forward slash Leo. Enjoy your 10% off now. Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Kyle Mitchell who is a teen mental health advocate, TEDx speaker, international speaker, and most importantly, severe social anxiety survivor and overcomer. Um, So Kyle, tell me about this mission to help uh, a million teenagers deal with social anxiety. Yeah, so what I always tell everybody is, I'm being the person that I wish I had in high school. So that was my biggest struggle point. One of the you know most challenging times in my life was you know during my own teenage years in high school. So I'm giving back and I'm saying, hey, I like I said, I want to be that person for other people um, that I wish I had because it would have been much better had I known like I wasn't just this weirdo outlier type of person like. I didn't realize there's tons of people around me struggling. So yeah, I'm just here to bring awareness one and two, like show you, Hey, you aren't stuck with social anxiety. Like it doesn't have to control your life. You can actually get to the point where, you know, you make decisions based on what you want to do, not what social anxiety or fears, you know, telling you you can't do. You know, this is such an important topic because I think not enough people are aware of the signs and symptoms of, social anxiety you know there's that fight flight freeze response and and i think they've added now fawn and folly to it what did let's define terms because are you separating social anxiety from regular anxiety and what's the difference there yeah so social anxiety is basically it's just like another form of anxiety maybe a, a little bit more specific but it's feeling anxious in social situations. So a lot of times, you know, you'll 
just feel like I like to say, like, you almost feel like you're a mind reader, like you can read everybody's minds, you know, they're just talking trash to you. They think what you're wearing is stupid, how you walk is stupid type of thing. Um, That that is what social anxiety is. And it can happen and you can feel it in just like the most odd doesn't make sense moments. Like it's completely illogical from like an outside perspective. But internally, man, it is so real. I mean, you can feel it just waiting in line at McDonald's, you know, in the store. You're like waiting to do your order. And at the same time, you're like, well, what should I be doing with my hands? Like, should I just be standing here? Like, should I be getting my wallet out? It's just all these little things that just really pile up in your head and just, just feels terrible. <laughs> right. We're, we're like making these assumptions about what other people think about us, how they perceive us. And at no point are we actually confirming or validating any of these, uh, you know, buzzing thoughts in our head. I I remember because I struggled with social anxiety. I remember sweating every day on my way to school. Like, and the closer I got to school, the more I would sweat. And I wasn't being bullied. I was like class president. I, you know, I was a starter on a basketball team. But every day just going there. And and that lasted all through college. Um, Just sweating the closer I got you know, to social um, situations. And I, I had, a, I had a friend in college, my boy, Mike, who was just so cool and smooth. So I would just like watch him and be like, oh, okay, uh, I could, I could relax a little bit more, but it never quite goes away. Like even to this day, like I have to like meditate and do some chanting and kind of ground myself. So, so you, we have the thoughts that are going through our head as part of social anxiety the worry about like what to do with our body, like where do we put our hands, where should we look kind of thing. Are there any other kind of physical sensations or, or, or thoughts that are running through our head when we're feeling socially anxious? Yeah. So, I mean, I think you nailed one of them. Yeah. Sweating, clammy palms, you know, your heartbeat just beating out of your chest. Um, feeling like there's like a, a heat wave over your body type of thing where you just feel incredibly hot, which obviously turns to sweating. Um, those are the ones that I hear the most. And those are all the ones that I experienced personally. Yeah. And at what age did that start for you, Kami? Was this like kindergarten? You, you were worried preschool. Like when did this, when did you notice this? And is this something that runs in your family? So like looking back, I noticed this as early as like six years old. Now, six-year-old Kyle didn't know what that was, just thought it was, I don't know, just something. I don't know, just something everybody experiences maybe. And kind of as I went forward, it was like, you know, I'm the only one. Everyone else is, you know, able to make friends and talk to people and and that type of thing. Um, But, yeah, it was really just like uh, looking back, I was able to tell like, oh, yeah, I struggled with social anxiety. That's that's the thing that I was going through. And what's the worry you think of like meeting people or introducing yourself or saying hi or connecting? Like what's the, what's the fear or the worry? Um, I think the fear for a lot of people and especially myself was I didn't love myself. So I just thought everybody else didn't love me either. Everybody else didn't like me either, but I wanted that so bad. Like I said, I, I didn't even love myself. So how was I expecting to like think that other people were going to love me and support me and, you know, like me, appreciate me 
that type of thing when I couldn't even, you know, love my own self. So I, I think that's like the like the first step really to, you know, start managing is, and I talk about it in my TED talk, you know, my step one is to shower yourself with self-love because I think that's a huge thing. Like imagine if, you know, if you're listening, you struggle with social anxiety, how much different would life be for you? What, how much more active would, or less active, I should say, would social anxiety be if you fully loved and accepted yourself? You're like, I'm Kyle Mitchell and man, I love me. Like, I know I have flaws, but I love it. Like, one of my flaws was I have really, like, pale skin and blonde hair. I hated that. I hated that I was so pale. I hated that I had to, like, cake on the sunscreen every time. Like, I hated that about myself. And then I had to learn to be like, you know, this is just how I was created. This is my uniqueness. And I love my, you know, my pasty self. Like, what, what, what else is my other option to just continue hating myself for that? Or can I just say you know, I'm going to find a way to love the heck out of me. And I found the latter is much more enjoyable of a life. So in sixth grade, you're, you're struggling with love and acceptance. I mean, not sixth grade, but as a six-year-old, you're struggling with, with love and acceptance at that age? Yeah. So I, I can tell you a specific story. I mean, I don't remember a lot in kindergarten, but I do remember one thing that I look back on now and I was like, oh, okay, this is probably where it started. So um, going into kindergarten, my parents always dressed me in like, I guess you would say clothes that you would wear to church type of thing. While everybody else, you know, dressed in shorts, jeans, t-shirt, whatever, you know, just casual clothing. And I don't remember feeling any type of way throughout the year because I don't remember a whole lot anyways. But I remember the last day of school, um, we we're out on recess and my parents let me, you know, dress myself so I could wear, you know, whatever I wanted. And we we're out on the playground. And I remember one of the kids in my class came up to me and he was like, hey, you want to come um, come play this game with us? I was like, you know, save the <laughs> save the princess type thing. I don't know, some sort of like six year old game thing. And I remember thinking as a six year old this is weird. They want me to play with them now. Now the only difference is that I'm dressed kind of like they are in a more casual setting. Now beforehand, I don't remember like feeling like excluded or anything like that. And it's probably just due to the fact that I was, you know, five, six years old. And I just don't remember a whole lot from there, but I remember that thought. And I was like, Hmm, I think that's where it stemmed from. <laughs> the, the clothes. I mean, there's such a reason why um, such a reason. Um, there's a big reason why so many of us do emphasize how we look, how we dress, you know, how we smell, our hygiene, things like that, because we we don't want to stick out from the norm. And when we do, uh, sometimes that can be great. Like if you're a rock star, we expect our rock stars to dress differently. Um, but, you know, on a playground when you're six years old, you know, kids want to hang out with kids who dress like them or look like them or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that had to be like mind blowing to know that just your, it wasn't about you. It was just the clothes. And, and I wonder if there was like maybe an explanation, like why did your dad dress you up in church clothes? First of all, let's talk about that. Are you, did you come from a religious family? So I am from a religious family. Um, I don't know why they dressed me up in church clothes. I think it was more of a, my mom 
something just wanted me to like look good type of thing <laughs> I don't know I, I guess kind of in the same sense of like because I have like three kids now and so like they just started school and first day of school I'm like I don't care just like go to school while my wife on the other side's like let's uh let's curl your girl's hair and uh you know Kyle make sure you you know put up uh Bubby's hair my son's hair kind of like I do and I'm like I'm sure like uh, I mean it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference to me I don't really care but she seems to really care and I think that was the kind of the same type of attitude my mom had I don't think it had anything to do with like religion specifically but it's just more like well, I want my son to look good and cute type of thing <laughs> Well, you know, and I could also see, you know, other six-year-olds thinking, well, since you're dressed up, you probably don't want to get dirty or sweaty because when they dress up, they can't get dirty or sweaty. That's true. Yeah, I, I've never thought of that. But yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know where my social anxiety stems from, you know, 100%, but I, I do believe that was probably the the whole bit of it. But yeah, but to think that it all kind of stemmed from like, something as small and simple as that is like it's kind of mind-blowing absolutely so i would expect that you know your your mom is uh you know being very intentional about your appearance so i assume that there was like an expectation of how well you did in school and how you performed in front of other people and manners and etiquette and things like that i i'm, I'm sure you use like the right spoon for your soup and the and you had the, the perfect spoon for dessert. Was that the case? <laughs> no, it wasn't that hardcore. Um, I mean, I've always been a pretty well-mannered kid. And, you know, not to sound like overconfident or maybe that's not the right word, but, you know, still I am. Um, but I've always just kind of like been a pretty good kid growing up. I never really got into any type of trouble. Just, just kind of stayed, you know, under the radar type of thing. Now, my younger brother's about four years younger than me, totally different animal. So we're complete opposites. He's kind of like, he was always getting in trouble. He's kind of like buzzing off the wall type of thing. Um, so that that was uh, interesting. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think my, like how I came off as a kid was like a direct result from my parents. I think it's just more of like, that's just like my personality type. Like I'm an introvert. My brother's an extrovert. Oh, so you read a lot of books. What are you reading now? Um, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I read a lot of books, but um, I'm not really reading anything now. For a while, I was listening to some audio books. So I'd listen to like, you know, a 15 minute summary book for a while. Um, but yeah, dropped off. I'll get back on. I, I get that. And so international speaker, TEDx speaker, what? Was there a message from somebody else that, you know, that you met that encouraged you to want to really speak out about this? Uh, and I ask this because, you know, I, I've, I struggle with depression, anxiety, suicidality, but it wasn't until I heard somebody else's struggle and story that I was like, all right, I got to I want I really want to be a voice for for people like that person. So it really wasn't this podcast really wasn't so much about me as it was about thinking about this other person who I was like, Oh my God, they're struggling with this. And I want to, this is my way of doing something about it. Was there that person for you? Yeah. So have you ever heard of Eric Thomas? Eric Thomas, uh, he's a speaker, right? Yeah. ET, yeah. the hip hop preacher. <laughs> so he's kind of what 
got my butt in the gear type of thing. Um, it first started off of like me just like putting more effort in my life overall. And then it was like more like discovering like what my value is in this world. Like what's my gift? How can I give back to other? What's the value that I provide? And that's when I was like, man, I got to help people with social anxiety because I struggled with this for so long. And, you know, social media was a, a lot more popular at the time. And I was able to see, you know, because people post about, you know, mental health and social anxiety and all that type of stuff. And I realized, you know, hey, I'm, I wasn't the only one struggling with this. And I'm definitely still not the only one struggling with this. So let me go help some other people. This is my value to the world. And I've enjoyed doing this, man. It's, it's fun. Like I've, I've never felt so, what's the word, like fulfilled in doing this, like just to receive messages from people saying that, you know, I changed their life or even I saved their life and all this type of things. Like, man, that's, that's way better than any type of money, you know, happiness could bring me. So I just been keeping on. So in high school, I know I'm backtracking a little bit here, but in high school, I imagine that, you know, social anxiety either, you know, at some point in your junior or senior year, um, you know, you start to overcome it a little bit or it's still like, um, you know, just overwhelming you. Did, did we go to prom by ourselves? Did we stay home from prom? What was the prom experience like? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, prom was horrible. Uh, for me, I did go to prom with somebody that uh, it was a friend, you know, one of my classmates in one of my classes. Um, she was just like really nice. And, you know, yeah, we so we went to prom together. Um, not not a great experience for me for many reasons. One, I didn't know how to dance or anything like that. Felt pretty uncomfortable doing that. And then. I've never told the story out loud, slightly embarrassing, but I'm going to share because that's just what I do. But uh, so I'm like, I'm like watching other people of like how they go about like dancing and doing this stuff. This is totally outside my comfort zone. And so I kind of push myself out there. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to like get into it. So I start dancing with this girl. And so this so like, so like odd and like to totally innocent, but you know, I'm like, kind of like grinding on the girl that I came to the prom with. You know, we're friends, but I'm just thinking, this is just how you dance type of thing. Like, I'm not trying to like make anything of this. And I remember her just being like, no, you know, I, I don't like you like that. And yeah, from that point for the rest of the prom night, I just went and sat at the table by myself and I was completely humiliated. And I was like, oh my God, like dancing traumatized me now. <laughs> Did, did your father have a, a, a talk with you? Did, was there not like, or did your mom, you know, uh, teach you like, this is how you dance with girls? Or did your dad ever talk to you about how to talk to girls or, or dance with girls? No, no, no nothing like that. Um, so my, my mom wouldn't have been good advice. She grew up in Haiti for the first 16 years of her life. Um, so she lived a wholly, totally different experience than I did. And then my dad would didn't really have much of a parent presence in his life. He was like one of like 10 brothers and sisters and, you know, they're constantly moving around. So he didn't really have that kind of figure to like help him out with stuff. So he didn't really have the information to help me out with that type of thing. Wow. And you being the oldest. So, you know, you, it sounds like you really didn't have anybody to 
you know, bounce questions off of or ideas or thoughts? Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I could have and probably should have like talked to my parents more. And I eventually did open up about, you know, how I was feeling and stuff in high school, uh, which was supremely helpful. But as far as like those kind of like nitty gritty questions like that, like definitely not. No, that would have been really uncomfortable for me to ask. From now on, I'm going to I'm going to refer to all my questions as nitty gritty. I, I love that, Kyle. Were there any medications involved at all? Some people I know, you know, unfortunately, kids who are struggling and even adults who are struggling with uh, social anxiety, any type of anxiety are so quickly medicated. Uh, were you prescribed anything at all at any point or taken anything at any point? So once I opened up to my parents, like sophomore year of high school, um, I eventually started seeing several different therapists kept kind of like bouncing around um and every single one now i'm going to just put a disclaimer out there i've found since that not all therapists are like that and i know how to search for a therapist that works for me but everyone when i was in high school that i went and saw that was their their first suggestion after one one session of meeting with me was to like put me on or suggesting that I go on some sort of antidepressants or some anti-anxiety medication. And I mean, my parents were open, you know, whatever I wanted to do, they were cool with whatever, for whatever reason for me, when I was that 15, 16 year old kid, that just didn't sit right with me. I just didn't feel like, no, I I didn't want to be like on a medication and I'd be dependent on that. And I didn't like that. That was the first thing that was suggested. It just didn't sit right with me. Um, Now I have nothing against medication. I just, I I do have a lot against medication being the first option because there's so many better and healthier options to at least try out first. Some people end up do having to use medication and that's fine. But yeah, as the first option, no, don't know. But to answer your question, um, no, never got on any sort of medications. So I, I love that you said you love it as an option, just not as a, the first option. What would some of the other options be for you, Kyle? You're 29, uh, you're an international speaker, TEDx speaker. So I'm sure you've developed some techniques and strategies to ground yourself and to be more present and, and, and out of your head. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I started doing was when I was in college, I was still struggling with this. And I remembered something that my dad told me when I was in high school that I wasn't ready to hear at that point or take action on. But at this moment, it kind of like brought back into my head and I was like, oh, that's what I got to do. So he told me, I don't know, he struggled with social anxiety per se, but he said, you know, he was he was pretty shy person and had a hard time like talking to people so what he did to be able to get better at this was he lived in Las Vegas at the time he went to school to learn how to become a a blackjack dealer and so he actually went and applied and got a job as a blackjack dealer in I don't remember what casino in Vegas but you know one of the big ones which is if you don't know a super high pressure job Um, yeah definitely not for the faint of heart for sure so that's what I was like okay that's what I got to do uh, not become a blackjack dealer, but I need to do something to get outside my comfort zone. But I want, for me though, is like, I want to do something small. So my whole life, school career, I should say, I 
struggled with, you know, raising my hand or being called on. Like my whole goal in every class was to just stay under the radar. And in college, uh, you know, as opposed to high school, they actually graded you on participation. And it wasn't, you know, just showing up. You actually had to, you know, participate in class, you know, answer and ask questions. So I was like, okay, that's going to be my first challenge for myself. I'm going to start you know, raising my hand just one time in every single class. So let's see what I can do. So I start doing it. And of course, like the first time, first few times, super nervous, super anxious, you know, I'm procrastinating to the end to actually do it. But I, you know, I end up doing it and I feel good about it. And then about four or five, you know, maybe six weeks go by of me consistently doing this. Like I did not miss a day of doing this every time. And I realized, oh, I'm able to raise my hand now without feeling like people are judging me or feeling like I'm about to ask a stupid question. I was feeling really comfortable. And actually in some of my like my classes that I was actually interested in, I was the most participative person in the class. Like I was into it, raising my hand, you know, asking and answering questions all the time. And I was like, whoa, this is this is really cool. I kind of trained my brain to realize like, hey, I'm I'm safe in in this environment. Like I don't need anxiety to keep me protected because I already am. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna gonna keep doing this. This is really cool. What's the next thing? So I was delivering pizzas for Pizza Hut while I was in college and we got to wear shorts uh, while we delivered pizzas. And, you know, as we kind of dabbled on before, um, you know, I cared, I cared a lot about my appearance. So I didn't, I didn't want to be the center of attention type of thing. So I had these like really cool, like camo Miami hurricane socks. Cause I'm a big Canes fan. And, but I never wore them out with shorts. May I wear them with like jeans or whatever, but I didn't want to be like that flashy type of thing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start wearing like crazy funky socks with the pizza or to, you know, deliver pizzas every single day. And I started doing that and thinking that people would judge me and like, why is he wearing those weird socks? And it was totally opposite. My, my mom was playing tricks on me. It was completely different than what I thought it would be. Uh, people were super nice to me, like complimenting on my socks all the time, um, delivering pizzas to people. Like they would make comments on me like, oh, those are really cool. Like, love it. where'd you get that? And like actually started like conversations like that. I uh, can't prove it, but probably me better tips, I would think. And yeah, so I just kept on doing these little uncomfortable challenges, as I like to call them, baby step uncomfortable challenges. And I I continue to do them. Uh, The challenges I do now are, you know, are much greater, but they're baby steps for me now because I've just built up, built up, built up until I can, you know, do some other things. And I'm just constantly trying to stretch out my comfort zone because from what I've found out, and I'm sure we've all heard if you're in like the self-help space at all, it's like, Outside your comfort zone is the growth zone and the growth zone is addicting and it is awesome to feel. So I just constantly am trying to get myself out there like, okay, well, what can I, what can I do next? What's a little bit further that I can go? Man, I love that because I, you know, I just did an episode a few episodes back about how the, the solution or the antidote to, you know, your depression, your anxiety or, or whatever is ailing you is is a creative solution It's not really going to be something that you find in the books or in the podcast like it's going to be something that you hear from your inner voice and and it sounds like you did that with terms of 
you know what? I'm going to raise my hand in class, like baby steps, nothing big, right? Nothing massive, yeah. nothing overwhelming. And then I'm going to wear some funky Miami hurricane socks. Socks are a big deal. Now everybody loves socks. I, I read in a book somewhere that like, you know, if you move to a new neighborhood, you know, wear things with logos and insignias of things that you enjoy that represent you. So other people have something to comment on and they, you know, they can draw to you. And that, that was your experience. Um, so besides the socks and delivering pizzas and raising your hand, was there anything else that, uh, what was another baby step? Let's get two more out there. All right. So uh, another baby step. Um, so when I first started like doing all this, like I started the Instagram, uh, which honestly, that was a baby step for me. I'm thinking about it because it took me like six months to even ever start because I was like, who am I? Like people are thinking like, you know, who is this guy to tell me how, how to help with this? Um, but I eventually started doing it and posting and, you know, I got lots of love from it. Um, so that was one. And then, you know, I decided like, hey, I want to try and speak because I knew speaking terrified the heck out of me. I was always just garbage at doing that in school, um, you know, stuttering the whole time and just had a really hard time with it. So I was I coincidentally just started talking to this guy at this church that I used to go to. And he was telling me about how he runs this program for like. Um, what do you want to call it? Uh, underprivileged kids, uh, teens, and that they have like a speaker come in every month. He's like, you should come speak. So I got to come speak over there in front of just 10 people. So, you know, it was a little bit outside my comfort zone, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like a Ted talk type of thing. Like it wasn't like just incredible pressure. Um, so that was a, a really good baby step. And really my whole speaking career has just been taking more and more baby steps. Like, okay, what's the next? Well, how, how can I take it further? And it's like, okay. And then I spoke in front of a, at this uh, hospital in front of like 30 or so nurses. And then I, you know, went to this middle school, I spoke in front of like 600 people and, you know, and then which led to the Ted talk and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, I got to go speak in Malaysia virtually, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, just, just keep on, just been keeping on building. I, I would say, yeah, my speaking is just, um, a result of me doing baby step challenges. Man, I absolutely love that. And then do you do anything to prepare yourself before these, these talks to, to ground yourself in, in your body or, or do you just show up and knock it out the park? <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't say I just show up um, there. I would say in the beginning though, there's a lot more prep work to it than there is now. So like you, know, when I first started, I mean, I would spend, 10 minutes every morning, about 30 days out from when I knew I was going to speak. And I would spend 10 minutes just visualizing the experience. Just like visualizing like me going on the stage, you know, talking to these people, you know, visualizing like what my version of success would look like as far as like not feeling anxious, like I'm feeling really good, having fun, that type of thing. Um, that was super helpful. Uh, and then I kind of got into, you know, practicing self-love and you know, doing affirmations in the mirror. And um, well, one thing I always like to share with people is, you know, I, I believed I was a TEDx speaker before I ever, you know, even got accepted. That was a constant affirmation that I told myself in the mirror for about two years before I even started applying. It was like, I am a TEDx speaker because I knew I had to believe it in my mind before I could actually make it happen. Um, one, one thing I, I like to 
share with people is like, you know, what's the difference between a confident person and an unconfident person? Well, it's not genetics, not your DNA, nothing like that. The only difference is the person that is confident believes that they're confident. And the person that isn't, you know, they just believe that they're not. They believe that they're less than, that, you know, other people are on a pedestal. And so it's really just, for me, it's been about training my mind to be like, hey, I am amazing. Like, even though I, you know, I have these thoughts circling in my head and, you know, I'm not good enough, you know, I'm not worthy. And I wanted to change the narrative in my mind. So I started using these self-affirmations. And not only has it led to like, you know, me doing, you know, cool stuff like TED Talks and all that, but it's just really helped me on like a day-to-day basis of just negative spiraling thoughts throughout the day. Uh, I still have them for sure, but uh, it's, it's not as intense and, and active as it was before. Um, uh, and also just like practicing gratitude has been a huge thing for me. I think that's one of the most overlooked practices that is simple enough for anybody to just take on is just practicing gratitude because our minds, we are designed to just like, what is wrong? Like, this is bad type of thing. Like, uh, you know, we're always like constantly going to towards the negative. Like that's what our brains, you know, are designed to do. And so I started practicing gratitude. And what I do is I you know, write five things in, in a little journal that I'm grateful for every morning that is relevant to the past 24 hours. Um, and that has helped me tremendously. And I say the past 24 hours because, uh, or, or else you get stuck in like a, a little rut of like, you know, I'm grateful for my kids, my house, my wife. And like, yeah, I'm grateful for all that stuff, like for sure. But it, it like gets stale after a while. And it's like, yeah, but I only have those things. So I try to keep it relevant. So it's like, no, I have lots of things to be grateful for every single day. And practicing that has, yeah, I, I notice sometimes when like a situation will happen. And a lot of times my mind will just go straight to the great, what the, you know, the, I don't want to say like toxic positivity. Like, I'm not trying to say that, but like, I'm going straight to like my, my grateful mind is going to like, Oh, okay. But Oh, this could happen. Like, that's cool. Uh, One that comes to mind was like, we were on vacation and we're, you know, flying back home and we got to the airport and long story short, they didn't have any, you know, flights for us to go home. They, I don't know how that works. They sold our seats. I don't know, but we didn't have any way to get back home. And I remember the first thought in my mind was, oh, well, this is kind of cool. Maybe we'll get a free flight back. And it's just like the little things like that, instead of just going straight to the negative, just thinking like, oh, I'm grateful that like this might happen or like, this is pretty cool. And, you know, it just like I said, I, I still sometimes go to the negative, like every human being, but practicing that gratitude has helped me stay in an attitude of gratitude much more often. You know, and I, I love that because, and I, I, you know, for myself, I recognize, yes, it's acceptable to, you know, complain and be like, this sucks. And, and, oh man, we're going to miss our flight. Or our flight's going to be delayed or uh, we're sitting on a tarmac for a while. But then also don't stay there, right? We don't want to stay stuck. I think that that's the that's the big thing is that we can then move from the complaint to the compliment or you know to the I was trying to be creative with the with the phrasing there. But uh, mm-hmm. go from grief to gratitude. There you go. Um, <laughs> where you, you know now now you're moving the energy instead of staying stuck in one energy. 
So, you know, for, for the listeners out there, I, I really want you to understand that um, this is not about you not, uh, you know, feeling the pain, sharing the pain, complaining about the pain, but it's just, we don't want to stay there. We don't want to stay stuck because that's, that's what's dangerous. I just read this thing about quicksand and it was just saying how like people don't die from sinking in the quicksand. They, they actually, you only sink to the level of your waist. Uh, the death comes because you get stuck in there and you don't, you're not sure how to get out of the quicksand uh, when you're stuck to your waist. And so like dehydration or hypothermia and things like that. So it's about knowing how to get out of the grief and into the gratitude. Oh man, that's going to be the name of this episode, ladies and gentlemen. God damn, I should be a speaker. Um, but Kyle, what I love is, you know, you're writing five things in the AM and that you saw it before it even happened, right? You, you visualize this thing and, and it took, you said two years. I, I, want, I want to emphasize that because we're talking about patience here, right? Mm. Two years of planting a seed, of talking to yourself in the mirror. I mean, it, 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 people might feel like they're crazy after uh, two weeks of doing that, right? You did this for two years, and you said I was a TEDx speaker before I was a TEDx speaker. Say it again. That was beautiful. Um, and so are, is there anything else in terms of um, – uh, that you're intentional about in terms of managing your anxiety. And I bring this up to say, uh, I noticed that certain foods for me can trigger uh, anxiety or that fight, flight, freeze response. Um, you know, I have to exercise. Like there's certain things that I have to incorporate into my day to kind of keep me grounded and keep those, those dogs from barking. I call them dogs. Um, is there anything else for you that you just like, I need this as part of my daily routine? Yeah, for sure. So I like to start the day off meditating. That is, yeah, that's my grounding exercise of choice of just really just bringing me into myself and into the present moment. Um, because I spent a lot of time where, you know, the first thing I did in the morning was, I'd, you know, hop on Facebook and start scrolling and, you know, doing all the comparisons of, you know, this person's going on vacation or this person's already graduated and just feeling bad about myself. And I, I stopped doing it and I started picking up meditation um, and noticed a pretty quick um, change. I mean, I mean, honestly, it was, I mean, it, it took a minute. So like the learning process and, uh, you know, my dumb self was just like, you know, I'm just going to try to like sit in this room for five minutes with a timer. And like that didn't work for me. And I started doing some guided meditation. And that was really helpful to just like really understand and like see my thoughts. Because that's when I started noticing like, whoa, I have a lot of thoughts running on autopilot in the background that I did, had no idea about. And then I started meditating and I could like see these and just like pick them out one by one. I was just like, oh, Okay. And that was, yeah, that was, that was huge. Just know that because once you bring awareness to that stuff, then you can say, okay, how do I, how do I turn that around? Like, how, how can I change that thought? And, you know, that's where the self-affirmations came to play. I can make self-affirmations that are, you know, contradicting towards the negative self-talk that I'll be having in my head. So if I, you know, hear myself, like, I I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as this person, you know, then I'm going to make a, self-affirmation to contradict that to reprogram my mind to believe no i am worthy like i'm good enough to be here like this is what i do i'm kyle mitchell and i'm amazing man 
And that has been like so helpful to just like turn those thoughts around. And instead of that negative self-talk now, I'm, you know, trying to reprogram my mind to like start, you know, cycling those type of thoughts. And when you have that stuff constantly cycling in your head, man, you feel better. You feel better about yourself. Your confidence goes through the roof. You're just like, whoo, I can't stop doing this. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, and so to, to switch gears just a little bit, because there's so many teenagers and, and six-year-olds out there struggling with anxiety. I'm sure I don't have six-year-olds listening to this podcast, but if I do, what's up? Um, what, would you, what advice would you give to parents to help their kids, their teenagers, their six-year-olds cope with social anxiety? And, and, and how can parents, you know, we talked about some of the signs and symptoms. But, you know, how do, how do parents identify that a little sooner in their kids? And then how do they have that discussion and, and guide them through those emotions? Yeah, so I think the advice for parents of six-year-olds and teenagers is much different. So for like the, the younger people and or for the younger kiddos, I should say, um, what I started doing was because I have like all young kids. My oldest is eight. My youngest is four. But I got them into meditation really early like it's as normal as brushing your as brushing their teeth type of thing and so I got them practicing that type of stuff because I was like man you know I didn't start doing this till I was like 20 I don't know four or five whatever and I was like man if I can get them early on this can you imagine 20 years of meditation under your belt by the time you're like 25 it's like Woo, that is such an advantage in life and so that that can be super helpful and just really just about being proactive, you know, with your kids mental health, just that one, you know, simple practice, which I'm a huge advocate of, I'm much more into being proactive with your mental health than, than promoting like ways of like, what you can do when, when it's happening. I, I think we should focus more on the proactive side. So we can, you know, keep the overwhelming anxiety at bay. But uh, for parents of teenagers, you're not going to get them to meditate. Um, we all know this. <laughs> I mean, I don't have teenagers, but there's no way my parents would have got me to meditate. Uh, so I wouldn't suggest, I mean, I guess you could suggest to your teen. I mean, they're not going to do it, but um, the biggest thing you can do as a teen, or I'm sorry, as a parent of a teen is listen and be of support. So I, I get a lot of parents who like reach out and they'll say, you know, or not really parents, but really the, the teens of the parents and they'll be like, you know, my my mom thinks I'm just I'm just making all this stuff up. And, you know, I just got it all in my head. And like, I, I just need to, like, you know, shut up and just like man up or whatever. And so what I would say is really as a parent is just listen. I, and if you've never struggled with social anxiety before, it can be hard to like listen and be like, OK, like, yeah, I see what you're saying, like, because in the back of your mind, like, no, this is the most illogical thing ever. Let me tell you how to fix this type of thing. And that's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. Nobody wants to hear your advice. Um, most of the time, they just want to listen. And if they do want to hear your advice, they'll ask, and then you can provide. But I'd say the biggest thing is just listening and validating the, the feelings that they feel. Because while it may seem like illogical and like kind of out there to you, like that's how they feel. Like, that is how they feel. So validate that emotion, you know, say, okay, I see that you're, you're, you're feeling anxious when you go about doing this. And it's not necessarily about like providing them the solution. 
but being the support for them and letting them find out the solution. And, you know, they may ask you questions and that's cool. Like you can provide, you know, whatever uh, answers you, you think you got that can help them. But the biggest thing is just like support, 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 listen, listen, listen. Man, I love that. It's not about the solution. It's about the support. It ain't about the grief. It's about the gratitude. Oh, man, we got some tweets today. Let's go. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Kyle, you have an eight and a four-year-old? Uh, eight, four, and six-year-old. Eight, four. Man, you you making up for that prom time, buddy. 29. <laughs> let's go. My boy got a ring on. So So tell me, you know, how did you and your wife meet? uh coincidentally we met at pizza hut we both worked there <laughs> <laughs> and so did she make the first move or was this your baby it was was this one of your baby steps like i'm gonna talk to every female pizza hut employee <laughs> <laughs> no that was <laughs> um it was probably her that made the first you know, i mean i guess it just started with like talking and i think she was the one that was like you want to come over and like hang out tonight? Like, so we like went over and like watched George Lopez for like four hours. That's what we did for like three months. <laughs> Wait, you said George Lopez? Yeah, the George Lopez show. <laughs> so like, I always loved that as a kid. She loved it. So we just like, that's what we like bonded over initially. And yeah, just kind of went on from there. So I, I would imagine that your parents must be so proud of you. You know, here you go from the, this, uh, you know, socially anxious kid who's still a socially anxious person is just that now you've learned how to channel it and and manage it, right? It's not about getting rid of it. It's about accepting it. We talked about love and acceptance at the at the beginning of this. Um, and and so we, well, love and acceptance is great for ourselves. And I'm sure you and you're showing that love and acceptance of your of your children. How do you and your wife uh, connect with each other. And when I say connect, what I mean is so many people, um, are just like coexisting as a couple, like they're almost like roommates. And sometimes we have to be intentional about actually connecting with our significant other. Um, how are you intentional about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, this is a, a good one because I think the first probably several years of our relationship was we were not intentional at all. It was more of like a, a roommate situation, I guess. I mean, we weren't living together at the time, but because um, we communicated horribly, we didn't she didn't say things to me that that bothered her, the things that I did and vice versa. And it. It, it was really bad. And it got to the point where we actually went to couples counseling like a couple of years ago. And that's when we started really being intentional. And then things have been completely different since then. You know, so we, we, we know how to communicate with each other. Like we know each other's love languages now, which was like a big thing. Cause I'm like, I'm trying to show her love in the way that I want to be loved. And she's trying to show me love in the way that she wants to be loved. And it's not, it's not connecting the same way. Um, so yeah, we just, now it's just all about communication, being really intentional, you know, making sure that we have time to ourselves, um, not putting the kids before the marriage is a big one. And I know a lot of parents uh, I've heard is just that feels kind of like guilty, but it's like 
you have to put your uh, your own relationship first or else you're not going to be good parents to your own kids. And so, you know, we have to, you know, set out, you know, date nights that we do, you know, every week and, you know, make sure that we're, you know, doing stuff that's, you know, fun for just us, you know, and it's, that's not with the kids. And that has led to, you know, us progressively getting better as a couple and being better as parents to our kids. Man, I love that. You know, first you identified your love language and then you made sure you put time to yourself so you're not putting the kids before the marriage. Because I think a lot of people, especially if you have newborns, um, you know, and, and the baby's crying and you don't even know if it's your first kid, you don't know. You don't know what anything means. So you're, you're constantly on edge, jumping up to uh, take care of the kids. So I, I want to dig a little deeper into the love language thing. Um, so what's your love language? What's her love language? And then what does that look like practically? Because touch can be a love language, right? Um, but there's different ways of touch to show love. There's some touch that doesn't feel like love and some touch that does. So that's why I'm asking, like, what does it look like specifically? So what are both of your love languages? And then what does that look like specifically? Yeah. So my love language is more, I don't know the technical term, but it's more like verbal. So like, you know, you know, tell me that, that you appreciate what I'm doing, like thanking me for like doing the dishes or like, you know, uh, picking up the kids that day or just like verbally, like appreciating me, like showing me that you love me type of thing. Um, that's, that's my love language. And, and hers is more of, um, it's more of like uh, on like the gift sense and not in the, not when, not just like buying her presents type of thing, um, but just like doing things for her out of love. Um, so let's say I, I know she had like a hard day. She's been texting me and she's been, you know, she works at the hospital. She's having a, a rough day. Like, okay, maybe I'll uh, make sure dinner's ready before she even gets home. So she comes home to get, you know, right into dinner. So I can show her my love for her by doing these little actions and sometimes I like go and buy stuff. So I like go to the gas station or kind of like our, our little thing is like, she loves the, uh, what's called the, the Hershey's cookies and cream, like chocolate bar. So sometimes I'll just like have one of those and I'll just like surprise her out of the blue. Uh, I've even gone as far as to like buy, buy like a stockpile of them. I'll have like 10 and like, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I can tell she needs one right now. Let me go grab one for my secret stash. <laughs> uh, she figured that out, but uh, she slapped about it. But uh, yeah, just doing those little things. Like I said, like if she did that to me, like that's not necessarily like my love language. So like wouldn't do a whole lot for me. Like I'd appreciate it for sure. But, but uh, like, that's just not how I express it. And, but yeah, just doing that for, for each other. And I think, um, I think I read something that your love language kind of usually has to do with like something like, I think they said like you lacked as a child or, you know, which for me kind of makes sense. Cause it's like, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was good enough. You know, I, I didn't have that praise and appreciation. My parents were great uh, parents, by the way, and they did give me that stuff, but you know, I didn't feel that from everybody else. And then on her side, you know, she grew up in poverty and went basically like got nothing. She never had a birthday party like that. Type of, I threw her her first birthday party. So, uh, yeah, I think that's where her love language stems from. Wow. That's such a powerful story, man. And I'm, I'm so encouraged and, and I'm sure my listeners are, too, and inspired by your story because it's, it's a story of 
recognizing that where you are is not where you have to end up and is not where you have to stay and we can grow and uh and and stretch beyond our comfort zone um i'm so happy for you kyle that it sounds like you have three amazing kids i mean they're meditating already so cool uh you have a wife i'm sure you've taken some dancing lessons uh since then or have since learned how to dance or i'm sure your kids will get you on tiktok and you'll be doing those crazy tiktok dances <laughs> kyle is shaking his head he's like nope um is there anything uh as we wrap up here is there anything that we haven't discussed and that you think would be a benefit to people struggling with or teenagers struggling with social anxiety any resources yeah, so, that they can go to or just anything yeah so i mean we talked about practicing self-love you know doing the baby step uncomfortable challenges the only thing i would add to that is make sure you reward yourself for those uncomfortable challenges and even bigger than that reward your efforts and not the results i'm a huge promoter of that because you know a lot of times we focus on the results you know for example when i was raising my hand one time in every class I remember one time I raised my hand, I'm starting to feel a little confident, like I got the answer to this and I said it wrong. And I was like, oh, and I just felt like so bad and like all the shame about myself. And then I remember like, wait, my challenge was to raise my hand one time in every class, not answer a question correctly every single time. And it only takes effort to go outside your comfort zone. Like that is it. And the results you can't ever control. So why even bother focusing on them? So I like to reward myself in, you know, really small ways, whatever way we can find. I don't have to cost money. It can be something as simple as a 20-minute Netflix break in the middle of the day, you know, just but find ways to like reward yourself to not only incentivize your uncomfortable challenge, but to also, you know, start training your brain to focus more on your efforts instead of your results. I absolutely love that. And last question, Kyle Mitchell. Um, and I ask this of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Kyle Mitchell? What would I say to someone who's thinking about ending their life? Yes, sir. That's deep. Um, well, I've never been in that situation before. But I guess what I would say is I would just talk to them about how much I care and love about them because um, I'm not sure how much you can really do other than that. Uh, but just showing them like I care and, and love about you, man, love you, man. And life would just not be the same without you. And just really just opening up and being vulnerable if you need to and just you know, expressing that love for you have that person. And especially as guys, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, we, we don't want to say, you know, I love you to my, you know, to my boys type of thing. But like, we need to hear that. Like, we need to know, like, I think, I think we all, I think like my boys, like we all love each other, but like, we don't say it enough. And like, why? Because like the stigma of like men can't say that. Yeah. I think we need to really just start saying that more often make sure make sure your friends know that stuff um because yeah it, it could lead down to a path where it just feels like you're completely hopeless and there's no other way out nobody loves you and sometimes people just need to know like hey there's people out there that love you uh kyle thank you so much for being on this episode thank you listeners for tuning in remember this episode is not a substitute 
for you reaching out, getting help, calling 988. It's no longer 1-800-SUICIDE. It's now 988. If you're international, if you're in Calgary, if you're in Sri Lanka, if you're in Omaha, wherever you are in the world, there are international phone numbers for you to call, talk, chat, text, uh, use Bitcoin if you if you need to uh, pay for um, you know therapy services because uh, you live in some communist countries. I've gotten messages from people who uh, you know they they're tra- they're tracking everything. So Bitcoin is your is your way around that whole thing. I'm not sponsored by Bitcoin, but uh, there's a use for it. Um, you can go to betterhelp.com, betterhelp.com forward slash Leo, get your 10% off your first month of therapy. And you can go to thrivewithleo.com if you want one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thanks for having me on.